Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you today. I'm Pastor Kent. I'm filling in for Pastor Austin today as we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. Before we jump in, I want to share a story with you, okay? Quite possibly you've heard this story before, but that's okay. I'm telling it anyhow because uh, this is an amazing example. I think it's, it's a great illustration of a mistake that so many people make, Christians and non-Christians, as to how they live their life, and especially Christians, as to how they, they live out their walk of faith. So here's the story. I want you to try and personalize it, as I'm going to do as I tell it. You show up for class, prepared to take the final exam. The teacher has been very, very clear. Even though this, this exam covers a wide variety of topics, and it looks hard, and nobody's probably going to finish it, but if you've been paying attention in class, you should pass. So you take your seat, the teacher passes out the test face down, and then the teacher says, this test has 50 questions. You have 10 minutes to take the test. You're going to be timed. No one, again, is going to be able to answer all the questions in the given amount of time. Ready? Begin. You flip your test over. Question number one says, read all the instructions and test questions thoroughly before you begin. Read them first before you begin. Number two, write your name in the upper right-hand corner of page number one after you've read all the instructions, not before. Question three, who discovered Tahiti? And you're sitting there thinking, I think it's, I think it's um, Abel Tasman. He discovered New Zealand, and New Zealand is, is close to Tahiti, and maybe he discovered them both, and then something pops into your mind, and you say, no, no, wait, it was, it was Captain Samuel Wallace. I, I remember reading that in a history book one time. So you write that down. Question four, name the fifth president of the United States. You're like, oh, is it Monroe? Is it Madison? I think it's one, maybe it's John Quincy Adams. Shoot, wait. Oh, oh, no, Monroe, Monroe. Man, this test is trickier and longer than I thought it was going to be. Question number five. Add 45,678,359 to 18,756,132. And you think, I hate math. Skip it. Question six. What's the least populated state in America? It's got to be a small one. Rhode Island, Vermont, Delaware, New Hampshire, no, wait, it's, it's Wyoming. It's big, but it's really sparse. Wyoming. Question number seven. Does Cardi B have more or less than 65 million followers on Instagram? Well, instantly I knew that Cristiano, Cristiano Rinaldi had over 200 million followers. And so I thought, well, she's popular. It's got to be more than. More than. Question number eight. What's the highest grossing movie of all time? And I'm thinking Avatar, one of the Avengers movies, Star Wars. Oh, oh wait, what if it's talking about um, inflation figured into this thing? It's got to be gone with the wind, but it doesn't say inflation. Can't, don't overthink this. You're losing time. Hurry up. So I, I pick gone with the wind. You get to question number 25. You're halfway through the test, but you only have three minutes left, and you're starting to sweat bullets, Okay. So you're trying to hurry. With a minute to go, 
several of your classmates turn in their tests. And you're thinking, no way. They're not that smart or they've given up. They're just going to fail the test. So you start real quickly. I start real quickly to stand, scan through the test, looking for quick, easy answers, questions I just instantly know. I find a couple of them, but I'm never going to finish on time and I'm probably not going to pass. Just as the teacher says, time is up, put your pencils down, you notice the last question on the test, question number 50, and it says this. Now that you've finished thoroughly reading all the questions, be sure to have done what questions one and two told you to. Read all the instructions thoroughly first, and then sign your name. Wait nine minutes, and then you can turn in your paper. Congratulations. If you've done those two, you've passed the test. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? Oh, no. I'm done. Now, listen, more, more than wanting to know if you've ever heard that story before, I'm dying to know if that's ever been you. If you've ever been that silly, I guess, or foolish, I guess, not to have done what it told you to do, and you instantly went right to answering, trying to answer all the questions on the test. You see, the reason I share that story is because I think it's so similar to how so many Christians think they understand the Christian faith and, and how to live it out. They act like life is a test, and it's a test that you have to pass. You have to earn a good enough grade in this life to pass the test so that you get to heaven. It's all about earning God's favor by how well you do on this test called life. I think so many people get so obsessed, so fixated and focused on passing the test that they don't fully read or understand the instruction manual, okay? What the gospel is truly all about. You see, for so many people, even if they're not Christians, they, they think they understand that Christianity or the gospel is about doing enough to earn a passing grade. Answer all the questions right or as many as you can right and you pass. You see, in reality, the gospel is not about doing enough, earning, deserving a good grade to earn or deserve God's favor and blessing and a place in heaven. The gospel is all about believing and receiving what Jesus has already done for us. You see, if you, if you read the book, if you read the Bible, the directions, the instructions, Signing your name simply means you understand that you pass this test 100% by God's grace, not by your hard effort to answer all the questions right or to live correctly. You see, signing your name on that test can be likened to taking ownership of something that somebody wants to give you. It's agreeing to the terms of the contract. The teacher, and in this in this illustration, it would be God has said, all you need to do is sign your name, believe and receive that I, the teacher, God says you pass if you just agree to my terms. And the terms are believing and receiving what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It's not about following all the rules and trying to get all the questions right. Ephesians has been called by many the, the, the book that is all about the gospel of grace. And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 probably are the capstone verses of that book, summing up really what it's all about. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not as a result of your own works, so that nobody boasts about passing the test. I think 
personally, the book of Ephesians is probably the best example in all of Paul's letters to the various churches as to the importance of what I'm talking about. Reading and understanding the, the directions, the instructions, the, the terms of the contract, as it were, first. This book is such a great example of, of that very principle. And let me, let me just dig in and explain this a little bit to you today, all right? The first half of Ephesians, which is what we're winding up today, is all about who you are in Christ. What Christ has done for you, how God now sees you. And throughout those first three chapters, it talks about the fact that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're chosen and adopted as God's children. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We're holy. We're blameless in God's eyes. We're now citizens of heaven. We're saved. We've been made alive. We used to be spiritually dead, but now we're spiritually alive. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're brought near to God, and on and on and on it goes. This message is just repeated over and over and over. It's about who you now are in Christ. Now you have to get this, okay? This is an absolute imperative. I think it is of greatest importance that the truths of chapters one through three sink into your heart and your mind, that they saturate your very soul before you go any further in this book. I'll show you why in, in just a minute, but I think sadly, too many people read books, epistles like Ephesians in order to get to the good stuff, the important stuff. In other words, tell me what I need to do to pass the test. Give me the list of do's and don'ts and I'll work on it. And so they read through the first three chapters almost as if, okay, yeah, 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 but let's get to the good stuff, the important stuff that I need to know. It's just like answering all those questions, sweating bullets to answer all those questions on that test without reading the instructions and the terms of the contract, the agreement, the way to pass the test first. You see, I think Paul so understood that human tendency that that's how we're kind of still wired in our natural band to live this life. That's why he prayed that great prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 16 through 23 that Austin talked about weeks ago. And even last week, he talked about Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Great prayers that Paul prayed that we would get this what I'm talking about today. You have to be rooted first and foremost in who you are, in whose you are, in how God now sees you through Christ and in what Jesus has done for you and me. You have to have that in you before you even attempt to live out what it says in chapters four through six. Austin asked me today to preach on just two verses, the end of chapter three, verses 21, excuse me, 20 and 21, as well as kind of setting the stage for him as to where he's going in these last three chapters. And at first I thought only two verses, but the more I dug in, it's like these two verses are plenty to talk about, okay? Because again, they set the stage for the rest of the book of Ephesians. They act as a bridge between a pivot point that Paul makes here as he starts chapter four. You see, from chapter three to chapter four, the book shifts in its focus, in its purpose, all right? 
Again, you have to get this. You have to understand this. It's so very important. Up until now, again and again and again, over and over and over, the message of the first three chapters is who you are in Christ, how God now sees you, what Jesus has done for you, etc., etc., etc. It always, it always has to be who you are first that leads you to live out what you're called to do. You see, this is the fruit of your new nature, the fruit of who you now are and who you're now empowered by. It's not works, it's fruit. I've shared many times over the years the story of me going out on my back porch at four in the morning and, and hearing my peach tree go as if it's straining so hard to produce peaches. What a foolish picture that is. Peach trees don't have to work hard to produce peaches. They just produce peaches. You know why? Because they're peach trees. And we as Christians have to understand that all the things we're called to produce or do in this life is a fruit of who we now are in Christ and what the Holy Spirit now wants to do in and through us. You see, we just partner with this new nature, this new life within us to live out those last three chapters. But then, for added measure, Paul adds these two verses that I want to share with you today. This amazing truth. Let me read it for you. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see the superlatives that are there? The superlatives this contains? It's not just more than you could think or imagine or, or dream. It's far more than that. No, it's, it's even far more than that. It's abundantly far more than that. The King James actually says it's exceedingly abundantly far more than you could ask or think. You get the point? And do you notice it's not you this is not a verse that says now you are responsible to do all these things or that you should even try in your own strength to do all these things. It's a power at work within us that will accomplish and live out these things God calls us to. It's the Holy Spirit and his power within you and me that will live in us and through us to accomplish what God has called us to do and calls us to live out. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, gee, Pastor Ken, I wonder, is that enough power to do this? Is it enough power? Romans 8.11 says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. If you're a Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, Ephesians tells us in chapter 1, the Holy Spirit comes and seals us. He comes to live in us and protect that commitment that we've made and empower us to live out what God calls us to do. Listen, if the Holy Spirit had enough power to raise Jesus from the dead, as Romans 8.11 says, then he's going to quicken, he's going to give life to your mortal body to live out this call. The word life there isn't bios, it's not physical life. It's the word zoe. It's spiritual life. He is going to enliven your spirit and mind to live out the life that God calls us to live. So Paul over and over and over again talks about our identity in Christ in those first three chapters. And then he tops it off with this reminder of the power that lives in us to live out and accomplish the things that God calls us to do, that he asks of us. And then and only then 
does the book shift and pivot to a different focus? Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And from that point on, Paul talks about what this calling is and what this Christian walk should look like. But again, the verse starts, I therefore. Remember the question you have to ask when you see the word therefore? What's the therefore? Therefore. And Paul, in essence, is saying, because of who you are now in Christ and because of how God now views you and because of what Jesus has done for you and because the power of the Holy Spirit now lives in you, this is how you should live your life. Listen, if you miss that, if, if you're kind of like that person taking the test, you skim over all those first three chapters to get to the, the important stuff, the, the stuff that uh, really is what Christianity is all about. In other words, what do I need to do as a Christian? That's what's important. How do I live this Christian life? What does God expect of me? How do I please God? Help me answer the test questions. Just give me all the rules. Give me all the do's and don'ts. What do I need to do to pass this test? If you believe that as the most important thing, then I want to say something really important to all of us. If that's your understanding that the important stuff are chapters four through six, and anything the Bible says about how to live this Christian life, what's expected of us, then you have moved from living under an Old Testament law to living under a New Testament law. Because you see it as all about behavior, and it will crush you every single time. God does not want us to see Ephesians 4 through 6 as a new set of laws, a new set of rules and regulations that we somehow have to try and live by. Let me give you a brief sampling of the so-called important stuff, the contents of chapters 4 through 6, okay? In other words, if your mindset thinks the most important thing is, how do I pass this test? Here's what chapters 4 through 6 says without stealing Austin's thunder. It says that you have to walk in a manner worthy of being a Christian. You need to preserve the unity of the faith, have right doctrine, be a good church member, use your gifts to serve others, speak truth, speak kindly, don't be angry or bitter, don't steal, walk in love, be moral, not immoral, please God, be a godly husband, a godly wife, obey your parents, obey your boss, be strong, fight spiritual battles, and pray. I need to go sit down after just reading that list to you, okay? In my own strength, on my best day, I can't do five of those 18, and that's just Ephesians. If you add all the other things Paul says, or the New Testament says about Christian conduct, you are just going to be absolutely overwhelmed. The words that come to mind are epic fail, because you can't do this. I can't do this. But without believing and receiving the truths of chapters 1 through 3, then like I said, this just becomes a New Testament list of do's and don'ts. It's a New Testament law. And you will die under the pile of trying to live that out. The weight of trying to pass that test, so to speak, in your own strength is going to kill you. So if we know this, why in the world would we ever miss this point? How can we miss this point? Why do we continue to try sometimes to live in our own strength and our own effort to please God? Why do we think that's what's expected of us? My opinion is this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. 
Do you remember the original temptation in Genesis 3, 5? Satan said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. You'll know good from evil. I think there is something in the unredeemed human heart that thinks we need to keep score. We have to, it's up to us to earn God's favor. We have to please him in how we live and in the choices that we make. But you see, the problem is we see it as it's on us. It's up to us. And church, I think that's just a, that's a form of control and it's a form of pride. And I think there's an irony in this. Rather than our eyes being open when we believe that lie, it blinds us to the message of grace, real grace found in Jesus and our need for that grace to save us. I want to be really honest with you today, okay? I am still in the process of believing and receiving those truths in those first three chapters. And I want you to know something. I read them and I meditate on them. I ponder them on a very regular basis. Here's, here's part of the reason, and maybe some of you will relate to this. I grew up in a very legalistic church, very conservative, fundamental church. And um, the message was 100% that you are saved by grace. And I understood that, and I placed my faith in Jesus at an early age. But in, in the environment I grew up in, once you were saved, it was as if all the rules changed. Okay? Now that you're a Christian, God expects you to toe the line. To, to be good, to obey all the rules. And man, were there a lot of rules. You're on your own to pass this test and, and please God. You see, in my first analogy, that first story, I signed the paper, I signed my name to the test paper, but then I, I've lived my life agonizing over answering all the questions right. There was no understanding in my upbringing of the fullness of God's grace. You see, I've discovered that God's grace is so big and so amazing and so wonderful. It comes in a lot of forms, but the two most important forms it comes in are saving grace, the 100% free gift of eternal life that God gives us through Jesus as we trust the teacher that he said, read the instructions, sign your name, you're agreeing to this covenant contract, believing and receiving the free gift we have in Jesus. That's saving grace. But there's also an empowering grace that the scripture talks about. The grace that God gives us through the Holy Spirit to live out this life that he calls us to. It's not works. Again, it's the fruit of a new nature, a changed nature. And on the one hand, it's instant, but it's also progressive. Paul spent three years in the Arabian desert unlearning everything he knew about the law and how to please God to come to this place of understanding true grace, saving and empowering. And I think it's kind of like Beloved children of the king live and act very differently than people who still see themselves as hopelessly lost sinners trying to be good enough to pass the test and please the king. It's a, such a huge difference because it's identity first that leads to changed conduct or behavior. You know, I've taught pastor seminars in Haiti and in Malaysia to hundreds of pastors and leaders and on this topic. I think it's probably the most important topic I ever teach. And yet I'm still in the process of learning and having this truth go deeper and deeper into my own heart and soul. Because God wants this to be an experiential truth for all of us, not just something we understand in our minds. 
It's Christ in you, in me, that's our hope. It's the Holy Spirit's presence within. And it's not some long, hard, arduous climb up this mountain to hopefully access this, this little bit, this meager amount of God's help to live this life. It's like a bank vault within you and me. The Holy Spirit's presence within us gives us all the love, all the riches, all the power that we need to live out this Christian life. And it's yours by believing and receiving what you already have in Christ in you. So my encouragement today to, to everybody here, steep yourself in those first three chapters. Even as Austin goes on and teaches chapters four through six, spend time if you need to, if it's not rooted and grounded in you like it should be, spend time in those first three chapters until they permeate your soul and your spirit and your heart and your mind. It's essential that we experience the truth of what that's talking about. I do want to close with this, okay? I gave that example of a test, and I want you to understand, sign your name to God's covenant agreement in Christ, and you pass the test. But Paul does talk about another test. And before you go, I knew there was a test, let me explain that test to you, okay? It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, where it says this, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. And so often again, we think, yep, we got to be obeying all the rules. We got to get out the checklist and make sure that we're in the faith. That's not what he's talking about. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? The test, the measure of your Christian life is not your conduct and your behavior and your performance. It's Christ in you. The Holy Spirit in you, bringing change in you from the inside out. To fail this test is not based on how well you answer all the questions or how well you follow all the rules and all the things the Bible says should be the way we live our lives. The only way to fail the test is to have not received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. To never have accepted what he did for you on the cross to pay the price for your sins and to receive the Holy Spirit to provide that new life within you to empower you to live this life of victory. So I just want to pray real quickly. If, if you're listening to this message today at home and it dawns on you that you have never, ever embraced Christ as Savior and Lord, you've always thought that being a Christian was all about how well you do, how, how well you behave to earn a place in heaven. If that dawns on you today that you've never really received this free gift of grace, this free salvation, I want you to pray with me right now in your homes. Let's pray. Just simply pray along with me. Father, today I realize that I am a sinner. I understand that I've been trying in my own strength to pass the test, to live a life good enough to earn my own place in heaven. And Lord, I, I agree with what Pastor Ken said today. It's just killing me. It's crushing me to try to save myself. And so today, I place my faith in Jesus. I believe and receive that he died on the cross for me to pay the price for my sins. I receive him today as Savior and Lord. I invite the Holy Spirit into my heart and my mind, my soul, my spirit to transform me and change me and give me the victory I need to live this life, this new faith in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you prayed that prayer today, it's imperative that you tell somebody so that they or we can help you grow in your faith. My, my great hope is that what I've shared with you today sets the stage for where Pastor Austin's going to be going in the next several weeks, that you will see the Christian life from a whole new perspective. It's not a test that you better pass, and chapters four through six aren't a whole new list of things that you're now responsible to do. Jesus has already passed the test for you by what he did on the cross. And you need to see this Christian life not as a test you pass or fail, but rather as a great adventure that God calls us into. An adventure that's filled with joy and purpose and meaning and significance and success. Let's pray. So, Father, uh, thank you for those who have committed their lives to you today for the first time. But I know there's a lot of believers who are watching this today also that have had that false understanding about the Christian life being more about how well we behave and not enough about who we are in you and the power you've given us to conduct our lives as we should. I pray, God, for new revelation to fill our hearts, to transform our thinking so that our, our lives are lived from a new place of freedom, a new place of victory in the power that is in Jesus' name. Lord, set us free. Continue the process of healing our, our thinking so that we can live out the Christian walk, the Christian life, the Christian experience as you've always intended us to live it. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great, great week.